And welcome to another episode of Two Medics and One Mike. Your presenters are Imran Lasker and Thrusha Gudwatna. So hello and welcome to another episode of the Two Medics podcast. My name is Dr. Lasker. I'm a consultant radiologist. Hi, I'm Thrusha Gudwatna. I'm a cardiology registrar, subspecializing in intervention. And we have a special guest with us today. I've had a few run-ins with him over the last few weeks because he just likes... He likes dogs and he keeps filling my feed up with pictures of dogs, dogs licking his face, etc., etc. Go on, introduce yourself. Welcome, welcome to the show. Hi, <laughs> I'm Tarek. I have a dog. That's uh, pretty much my entire personality. <laughs> oh, man. Honestly, sometimes when I'm scrolling through and I'm, I have to think twice if I'm going to look at Tarek, Tarek's uh, feed, whatever he's talking about. You can just mute me. No, no, the problem is I like you. I just don't like some of your content. You know, I don't like some of your content, which is basically around a certain canine. <laughs> no, I'm joking, I'm joking. I'm, I'm playing around, I'm playing around. She's up. right but, um, here, she can, she can hear you. She's well upset. Oh, wow, look, if she could give us a bark, I think that would be that would be a very popular thing. Can you can you mm-hmm. get her to sort of make, make a noise? Maybe, no? I don't think, that's not how dogs work, is it? No, it doesn't work like that. She doesn't actually ever bark at anything. Fair enough. It- well, maybe she'll bark during it. We never know. Because I remember yeah, when we exactly. had Hannah, you know, the cat just kept jumping on every time we said uh, dead cat politics or something like that. So, um, you know, maybe if, we, maybe if I throw in a few dog things, you might make a bit of a, a bark here and there. So uh, it's been, it's, I mean, you know what? Like we always say, Thrusha, a few things have come in quite late in the week again. Um, where do we start? Where do we start with this week? What, what's been going down? Well, I guess we probably... Um, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the things that are changing in the world. And I suppose mm. like COVID is obviously at the kind of forefront and people well, talk well, about it. Well, it's finishing, isn't it? I mean, it's the end oh, of the yeah. episode. Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, well, I don't know what wave we're on now. Like, are we supposed to talk about the wave and like where we are and like everyone's yeah. just exhausted and uh, yeah, but yeah. like July, July the 19th is still cool or something. And yeah. I mean, Tarek, you, you work in emergency medicine. How have mm. you found this whole thing? What, what, what do you make of all this? We're opening everything up. COVID's over, man. It's time to party. That's what's going oh, down. It me off, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's just this level of like politics without substance is just what we've seen for like a year and a half. And it's mm. making promises that you know that you and betting your political career on these promises that you think are going to be popular with the electorate in the minute but actually not really looking at where that takes you. So this whole thing, like as soon as Sajid was appointed, he was like, no, this is irreversible. We're opening up, blah, blah, blah. Let's stop wearing masks. And they started seeing the cases coming up. And then you had other cabinet members being like, oh, actually, maybe masks are a good idea. And it's just mm. the people that it affects is, I'm not, you know, not obviously just us, but it's like, it's patients, like it's real life people. Um, so mm. yeah, I'm, I, I just, I'm, I'm sick of it. I mean, I'm sick of COVID. I'm sure we all are. Mm. I'm in PDZD at the moment. So I haven't uh, been in adults as much, but um, colleagues have started to have, you know, uh, sick younger people who aren't vaccinated or double, you know, aren't double vaccinated yet. Um, we've had, you know, we know that kids can get some sort of, you know, weird COVID type syndromes and, and stuff. And we've, I've had a couple of those, you know, in the past week. Mm. Um, loads of COVID positive viral upper respiratory tract infections in like, you know, young kids. And you know, they're just spreading it to like their parents, grandparents, etc. So, um, yeah, a bit scary, I guess. I think I think we're all as health professionals a bit worried about what's going to come up in the next few few days. One of the things that I keep kind of like seeing though is it's like uh, people kind of saying, "Oh, you know, because you've had two, you know, you might have had both your jabs." Like almost kind of seeing that as a site, like a kind of something to be kind of comfortable about. And I feel like people aren't really thinking very much about long COVID either. 
Um, it just, and I reckon that I feel like that's going to be something that bites everyone. Yeah, I found hard. I found that really fris- I found that really frustrating. So not just during like the second wave, for example, when we were seeing obviously lots of people very sick in the minute with COVID, there were people coming in who were like six months, or not six months, like three, four months post COVID, who were complaining of, you know, recurrent symptoms that we couldn't really do anything about. And we constantly talk about COVID as and the effect of COVID. The only metric is death, right? You are, If you don't die from yeah. it, you're fine. A stay in ITU mm-hmm. is massively debilitating on your life. Long COVID mm-hmm. is massively debilitating. And if you're younger, you're more likely to be unvaccinated or only single vaccinated. And therefore, you know, you're more likely as well to get long COVID. It's just a bit... We're, we're looking at it in one particular metric and it's just going to affect tons of people's lives. And I, you know, healthcare workers wise, I can't, I, I just don't know how I'm going to pick myself up and do it again. I don't know about you guys, but. I mean, from the radiologist's point of view, I mean, we've been seeing a few of the follow-up scans and, you know, COVID rogers people's lungs. There's no, there's no two ways about it. It scars mm. up pretty badly. And I'm not surprised people, because I've read a few, a few instances where people have found it very difficult to get back to their, their normal capability of doing something like a tough mother. I mean, they're finding it difficult to get back into exercise or getting back and finding it difficult to get back into things. And it's no surprise. I and mean, when you get that amount of scarring, that can happen to some patients. I'm not surprised that they're not able to get back to their normal functional lives. They just don't have mm. the capacity anymore. Are you just giving Therusha an excuse for not actually smashing his Tough Mudder performance today? Well, I've got to say, like, it's interesting because they're like, you know, uh, the I, I know I probably shouldn't use footballers as examples, but Kai Havertz and, you know, there's some like really quite prominent kind of uh, athletes out there who have had like, you know, uh, protracted kind of recoveries from COVID, long COVID symptoms. So, I mean... I, I do. I don't think it's enough in the public discourse enough. Like I don't think it's taken seriously enough. And I think people kind of. I guess it's kind of a bit like because it's kind of still um, not clearly defined. I think that that's an issue, really, isn't it? Mm. Like it just mm. Definitely. I mean, it's interesting that we, we, we bring up football. I mean, I think from since the last episode, we, we lost the football, didn't we? And then we saw a massive fallout um, going on social media. We all, we all saw it, didn't we? Quite a lot of um, negative feeling to, to those three players. I mean, what did we all make of that? That, was, that wasn't nice, was it? I, I mean, I, it sounds really um, sad, but, but as soon as, you know, our last three penalty takers missed their penalties, um, you just knew what was coming for them. Like you fully knew yeah, what was totally. happening, um, mm. and I wouldn't have had that feeling if those players were white. And then you have this whole discourse afterwards that was even more damaging, where you've got people saying, "Oh, it's just this loud minority of football fans," and actually, this country is not in any way racist whatsoever. Um, yeah. It's just these small number of people, and then completely discounting like the lived experience of people of color or people that have experienced, you know, institutionalized racism, um, you know, or just you know day-to-day abuse or whatever that isn't online. You know, that online football hooliganism, whatever you want to label it, but that you know overt racism via social media. Is just the tip of the iceberg um and then as soon as you start talking about that and trying to show people that actually well look you know you're seeing this and this upsets you but we see way more than that every day um you get a load of shit for just pointing out and making people feel uncomfortable that they have to confront you know the society they live in so it had you know it had that, yeah. that sort of like two-pronged um well it frustrated me in two ways because it was you know the initial thing was horrible to see and then the discourse after it of like you know um, lots of white people telling you that you're wrong about your experience in this country was even more frustrating. There was all this stuff. I mean, do you, what do you think about the response to it in terms of going after the social media companies? I feel like that was probably a bit whataboutism. Like it just—it's nonsense, though, isn't it? Like that's just it. it, it you know. <laughs> does going after the social media companies stop you know um, minority ethnic people or people of color 
being abused on like you know frontline workers for example you know in supermarkets mm. or healthcare or whatever does it stop that no it just means that you don't have to look at it as much when you log onto your instagram or your twitter so you feel less comfortable you feel more comfortable sorry and you feel more yeah. able to discount it because you're not experiencing it directly you know, it keeps your feed pretty it's not it, that's not how you tackle it that's the thing like uh, so is uh, i completely echo what you're saying like uh, you know being being a muslim person sometimes when well not sometimes when something bad happens I'm holding my breath, hoping it's not a Muslim name that pops up. I'm really hoping and I'm almost relieved when it isn't because I think, okay, look, I, you know, mm. we're not going to get a bad rap for that. Um, and I think there was something that really hit me quite hard. I don't know how you guys felt about it, but I think there was this Labour MP, Zoltana. Have you, have you seen this clip? Zara Zoltana, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He saw that and she, she was point, basically pointing out like, you know, racism that's come from the prime minister and various other, mm. you know, Tory party people. And then the lady that came, came to reply to her was very, very sort of like passive aggressive. And I, found, I, I think I only watched it once and I couldn't watch it again because it hit me so hard because I've seen my parents be on the recipient end of that. And actually, you know, um, back in Habs, you know, where we went to school, I remember um, I, we went to see a, my sister in a play and my dad, he, he was like walking up trying to find where, you know, where the seats were. And he walked up to this lady who he thought was sitting in his seat and said, you know, excuse me, you're sitting in my seat. And she just didn't even like acknowledge his existence. And I thought, oh, she didn't hear it. So my mm. dad said really politely, I'm I think you're in my seat. And I think even the daughter of that person was like, hey, uh, mum, he's trying to talk to you. And she just put a hand up like this into my dad's face. And then mm. I was like. I don't know what to do here. So then I quickly looked and I was like, oh yeah, we're in the wrong seat. And then she was like, there you go. These these people, you know, like they just don't know where they're meant to be sitting. So we had to go sit somewhere else. And it was just like, I just felt so sorry for my father. Like, you know, he's he's had that his whole life. Like even, you know, once I got a phone call and then this guy was like, can I speak to Mr. Lasker? And I was like, oh, well, at the time I still missed us. I said, well, you know, which one are you talking to? Which one are you talking about? And he goes, you know, the one with the Bud Bud accent. You know, the one with the accent. Oh, I'm like, wow. <laughs> Oh, sorry <laughs> but it was like you know what like my dad didn't hear that but i can imagine he wouldn't be very happy with that and like these are this is the stuff that people are thinking in their minds without really vocalizing when he thought he could yeah, say it, he just exactly and, and that's what's scary that's what not upsets me you don't mm. change people thinking that by stopping them being able to sit on social media right because those thoughts mm. that systemic racism still exists you tackle it at the source you know the first thing mm. you could do is maybe have a prime minister and a home secretary that don't, you know, say that booing players for making an anti-racist stance and gesture is is acceptable, and then go like, mm. oh my god, where did all this racism come from? When people, you know, feel emboldened by the things that they've said, and like, you know, it's simple things first, isn't it? It's tackling the things that are there in society. True, but don't you get the kind of politicians you deserve? So obviously, those guys have tapped into something, and mm. then how do we, how do we tackle that? So like, because people they, revolution. Wait, what? Revolution. <laughs> he did it. He brought it in there. I got out. How many minutes? How many minutes are we in now? How long did it take me to mention? Eleven minutes, and you said it. Revolution. <laughs> so go on, yeah. then. What's what's the plan? What's the answer? Go on. Yeah. I don't, Tell us the no, answer. But, I, I don't want to. I don't want to be on some watch list. I'm already. I already find it difficult enough getting through airports. So. To be <laughs> but look, I mean, like it's it's a, it's rife, isn't it? Because I, the reason yeah, why I put it yeah. because we know that there's an EU court that. Um, didn't they say that businesses could sack client-facing employees if they have mm. if they wear a hijab? So that's in yeah. the EU, right? Yeah. 
I mean, you know what? That well, hurts me more as well, like because obviously my wife is hijabi, my sister's hijabi, my mum's hijabi, and it's like, well, you're talking about like my entire family, and they're, they're well-educated people. They're they're very skilled at what they get up to. They're very good at what they do. And all of a sudden, you're going to say that because of what they're wearing, you find it offensive, and they they can't work, and they might get fired. You know, like I told you, you know, every time when when I'm at work, I'm showing them photos of my family, and then they'll see a photo of my my wife with hijab. And they kind of look at me funny. I don't know if you know if you you you, you can relate to this, but they look at me funny. And I, and I know what they're thinking as soon as they see my wife with hijab. And I actually say to them, "Do you think I made her wear that?" And they said, "Oh yeah, just." And then they're like, "Yeah, I mean, is that how?" And I said, "No, you know what? You try and get my wife to do anything." I mean, you know. <laughs> that, that, it, it, but it isn't just it isn't just racists though that that that, that do that though. You've got you know there's this like white sort of savior complex that you have amongst yeah. like, you know, sort of liberals and center-left people where they're like well actually the hijab's really oppressive and you remove agency and choice from like women of color who make choices for themselves and religious choices mm. for themselves that benefit them spiritually emotionally you know societally and you take that away in sort of this like like white savior complex and a lot of the justification of Islamophobia, like that EU court ruling, is based on that, right? It's like, you know, no, mm. we know better. In the West, actually, yeah. we don't wear that because that's really oppressive. But then you'll have mm. a go at people who aren't wearing face masks, which is covering part. It's just, it's, it, you know, do you know what I mean? It's, 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 it's Yeah, balmy. it's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, it wasn't that long ago we are having conversations about how, you know, some people shouldn't wear niqab because if you can't see someone's face, you know, you can't interact with them. And now look at us. I mean, we've, yeah. we've been pushed into a situation where we have to, we have to. And it's, you know, wearing face covering. And it just shows that actually, you know, society can run like that. So we had the story that came up not so long ago. Uh, there was a there was a black family. And then um, I think there, someone had passed away due to cancer. And they were going to explain that, you know, someone had passed away due to cancer. And a, a nurse passing by overheard the conversation and said, are you sure it wasn't sickle cell? And it was a bit like, you're only saying sickle cell because of the color of their skin, you know? And it, it almost felt as if that nurse walking past was seeing an MCQ question. Have you seen those kind of MCQ questions? Or yeah, you, you know what I'm talking about here? You know, um, where it's kind of like, we're almost built as, as, as medical professionals to be reading a question, but take that sort of beginning bit. If you've got a Bangladeshi who's got a cough, what have they got? TB. Exactly, yeah. TB, done, no worries, yeah. You know, I, in fact, the worst one I had, I don't know if you remember this, Trisha, back in medical school, the, I remember the stem of the question so well because it really stuck at me. It was a Sikh with an taxic gait. That's all it was, a I Sikh with an taxic gait. And it was like, the answer was, he, he was drunk. He, he, he was inebriated, that, that's what the answer was. But the, there were so many assumptions in that question. And I remember back in, back in the day, like it, I was surprised, but no one really kicked up a fuss. But these days, I don't like to think that people would kick up a fuss, but I, I'm not so sure. It's interesting though, how when we kind of do MCQs, it's about pattern recognition, common is common and all this kind of stuff. But it's really simplistic, mm. isn't it? And it also mm. kind of gives rise to that kind of stereotypical way of thinking. And in some ways, we need to, the whole point of like accept, understanding people's differences and stuff is to move out of that kind of uh, pattern recognition type of kind of thinking. But at the same time, that's what we do, right? Like when we take a history from a patient, we're looking mm. for kind of things that kind of tick a box that kind of fit, that constellation of different features that fit with a particular illness. But at the same time, we've got to recognize people as individuals. And I think that is a problem with the way we assess people. It's complicated, isn't it? Yeah, no, definitely. Mm. I mean, like race, racism is like fully rife in healthcare in in mm. multiple ways from from the moment that we walk through medical school doors to, you know, when we're treating patients as a more senior member of staff. 
but we don't like to address that because it you know that self-reflection and looking at the fact that we partake in those practices or that bias is kind of almost offensive to confront it because we're meant to be this all-inclusive you know nhs everyone comes from all over the world etc 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 but if you look at health outcomes for you know for example uh black women um you know in pregnancy of a much higher mortality was it four times higher east asian women twice as high um mm. and is that because all black women are in poor health when they go and you know they they, they yeah. try and you know, they go and give birth like no that's just not the case at all and you know mm. you look in medical school at how we are taught to diagnose rashes what skin do you see rashes on like throughout your textbooks like the whole of medical school it's white skin so our mm. healthcare and our healthcare provision is so white centered that it's incredibly it's you know it's impossible to escape racism in in um in healthcare and it ties directly into you know someone making a passing comment walking past the patient being like oh are you sure it wasn't sickle cell because that's all you've mm. been taught yeah. from day one you know to compartmentalize people based only on race not on actual uh, symptoms well it's interesting because like uh, i think zishan's come up again have you seen that tweet this week i think this week where he's talking a lot about um the you know certain certain people who will ask for pain relief depending on where you know where they're from and i mean i, I can't you know I, I find it so difficult to really you know articulate but he says muslims may not request pain medicine but instead thank allah for pain and jewish people may be vocal and demand assistance and black people often report higher pain intensity than any other cultures. Isn't that bonkers? <laughs> Where's that coming from? <laughs> can you imagine? Can you imagine the that wrote that? Like, can you just oh, yeah. like who who sat there and went like, I've got evidence for this, and it's not just anecdotal. Like, it is just it's ridiculous you just know it was the vein doc you know it was him it was, him. <laughs> it was fully him at medical school yeah. trying to get a fucking yeah. publication it was a hundred percent don't get me started <laughs> don't get through started don't get through started. started on him it's a fa- it's so it's so offensive i you know there are people on on twitter spoken about um when they were talking to do cannulas oh by the mm. way you've got to be careful with like um, oh, yeah. black skin because it's thicker what <laughs> where, 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 what? Where yeah. has this come from? Like, and yeah. you have these like myths and biases propagated by by people with absolutely, you know, in an industry that's meant to run on like evidence based medicine. Where is the evidence based mm. for like so much of this? And it's it is really it's very very frustrating. So as you said, the Marcus Rashford, Saka, you know, um, Sancho uh, abuse is completely indicative of what we have in society and in healthcare as well. It's the same, you know. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're not escaping it, are we, at all? I mean, uh, you know, coming going on to one of the other topics that came up, look, how, how do you feed How do you feed that back to someone? You know, like, because I think someone, I think Mehul, who seems to turn up a lot in our, in our, in our um, podcast without actually being there physically, he... Um, he was talking about, you know, at what time is the best time to give feedback to people? And he, I mean, the point of his particular message was like, you know, after working, you know, a night shift and you get blasted by your, by your consultant, is that the right time to give bit feedback? How do you give feedback? How do you feedback this kind of stuff to people where you think they haven't quite hit the standards that you would expect? I kind of feel that if you're post nights and someone wants to quiz you on all of the different causes of an obscure disease and then feed back to you that you were crap because you didn't know them, not naming any consultants by name, but you know who you are. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That is not, that is not conducive Uh, constructive feedback. I will, like, if we've had a particularly difficult night shift and there are SHOs that are really, like, smashed out of the park, we'll give positive feedback. Um, Mm. And then the next shift, if there are things to be raised that could be improved better, you know, do it when people are fresh, do it when people are are receptive. Like no one wants, no one wants to consult on that after a post-date ward round decides to spend an hour lecturing on you on, you know, how you can manage a team better. It's just not helpful, is it? Um, 
I don't know about you guys whether you've had any experience like yeah. that. I mean, I've definitely had post-take war drowns where I've been kind of eviscerated for ridiculous things like not doing lying and standing blood pressures or, you know, maybe not doing the VT assessments or whatever. I remember one of my... Or not circling like QRS complexes on an ECG. Is that, is that not a cardiology? <laughs> don't, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. No, none of that um, here. None of that funny business. But um, I just think that... I just don't think I respond very well to it anyway. Like, I think there's that whole thing about feedback, isn't there? About kind of the feedback sandwich and whatever. I don't think mm. we're kind of taught that well how to give good feedback. Um, mm. But there was a really good thread by, I think it's Laconic Doc, which talked about mm. kind of positive reinforcement. And in general, I mean, I think we, a, a lot of people when they go into medicine, you know, generally are quite well-meaning. And so I think kind of reacting positively and kind of appealing to that side of their personality, I think is probably a better tack to take rather than just kind of nitpicking at all the negatives. Because those mm. are the ones that you remember, aren't they? Like there's all their negative like interactions. I remember like one, once when I did a PACES teaching. So like I've been like taught, how, um, one of my good mates who was a stroke registrar, he like um, taught me how to do like uh, a kind of tailored uh, examination for a person who has Parkinson's because that comes up loads in paces and I remember like having some paces teaching with another a renal consultant and he, he brought me this uh, so we had this patient who was who had a tremor and I was like oh, it's gonna be a Parkinson's one right I'm gonna nail it did this whole kind of like <laughs> bosh 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 it was literally the day before so it's fresh in my mind and he goes uh, so like um, you know when we give feedback we're supposed to give the, the the feedback sandwich I don't like to do any I don't like to do that that was the worst examination I've ever seen in my whole entire life, right? And this guy was old, right? So he's seen loads. He's gonna see loads of those kind of presentations. So I knew that that he's seen like ten thousand. Yeah, you were the shittest. You, yeah, you were the shittest. I was shittest. the shittest one. <laughs> it carried such weight because I saw how dusty this man was, and so mm. and it crushed me. As to this day, I still remember like where we were, where we were standing when he told me that I'd give, I'd done the worst neuro exam oh, wow. I've ever seen. So like. I just, I, but you know, he might have said positive things in there, but that's all I heard, like the worst thing that he's ever seen. But who, who, who describes an examination as the worst thing they've ever seen? Like who looks at, yeah. like, say, a medical student doing an exam and say it's like, say, you know, slightly suboptimal and they need a bit of support. <laughs> who looks at that person and goes, you know what's going to benefit your medical education? You know what, man? You <laughs> that. That was, that was literally, <laughs> that was literally the shittest thing I've ever seen. Like, I, I have yeah. ever seen. And I'm a Newcastle United fan. Like, and that, <laughs> that was the worst thing I've ever watched. Like, who does that? Yeah. It reminds me of that, like, you know, back in, back when I was training, I, you know, I, obviously over the years I'd made plenty of mistakes, you know, with regards to reporting scans. And there's one particular consultant was like the, the, one of the top dog people of the place that we worked. And um, they, they, you know, over the years, they, they'd caught, caught, uh, caught onto loads of things that I'd missed and I'd learned loads and loads of things from them. And I think one of the final few scans that I got, I got from them, I, I, I did the report overnight and then I, I thought I saw something and I wrote about it. And then they came in the morning and completely disagreed with me, putting a massive addendum on it and made me, and I felt like, oh wow, man, I really got that wrong and I'm near the end of my training, that's pretty bad, right? And then I think the next day I was in the reporting room and this surgeon walks in and he goes, are you Imran Lasker? And I thought, oh great, you know, what have I done now? And then he was like, uh, no, 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 um, I need to talk to you about that scan you reported. I was like, listen, it's already had an addendum on it. Like, hands up, you make mistakes. He goes, no, 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 we went in and you were right. You were right. And I was like, okay. And he goes, I want to shake your hand. So he shook my hand. I was like, that's kind of cool. And I felt so good. I was like, yeah, man, I got one. <laughs> that consultant has been literally addending every single scan forever. And it's the first time I ever I was right, right? So this is where it went wrong for me. 
I told everyone. I told everyone. <laughs> I was so proud. This is the biggest moment, one of the biggest moments of achievement. I was so proud about it. And yeah, she heard about it. And oh, uh, no. yeah, she was not happy. She was like, what on earth are you doing? Walk around telling, telling people you got one over me. And I was like, no, no, that's not what I meant. I was happy that like, I got one thing right and compared to, I mean, that just happens. It, like, you know, hundreds of scans. And then she was like, no, no, no. And that was it. It was game over for me, which I'll talk about another day. But it was it was very much game over after that. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, feedback, yeah, both ways. Sometimes people don't take feedback that well. Yeah. Well, did you? Yeah. I mean, like speaking about those kind of those uh, that that type. I mean, um, there was uh, a thread from that started from an FY one. Oh, I think he's actually perhaps a medical student or an FY one. He's talking about training costs essentially. And then, did you see the best ortho doctor? Did you? Did I send you that thread? Like, yes, the best he's or- the best oh, ortho that, doctor. Dude, oh, we talked about this. I can't. There are words that I want to use that you're going to have to bleep out because he's just. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm really tired. It's been a long shift. But like, ultimately, who who says that? Yeah, you know what, man? I was grateful for being overworked as an F1 and basically feeling like service provision for a long period of time. And I should have been grateful for not being paid enough after being, mm-hmm. you know, doing a six-year degree, working my ass off, and entering a career and a profession much later than any of my other colleagues did in like other professions, um, mm. and I should be happy that I'm only paid, you know, twenty-five grand a year or whatever because it's an opportunity, mm. isn't it? It's just it's <laughs> yeah, nonsense. Yeah, yeah. It's nonsense. This guy, this guy. Have you seen? Have you guys seen this guy's profile picture? It's, it's one of the best ones I've ever seen. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen it, Tarek? It, it can't be I real. Haven't. It looks like I a parody. Haven't. It looks like a parody. Is he one of those people, though? Is he actually a doctor? Is that the question? Do we have, like, yeah. another med Twitter imposter on our hands? The question... No, it's not about that. He's, he's showing that you are... He is a doctor. So he's, he's yep. written his doctor such and such, MS Ortho, MC Orth UK, FRCS Edinburgh. Although he says doctor in front of his name. I thought if he's an orthopod, he should be Mr. Anyway. Yeah, I thought they didn't like that. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. He's also got a telephone number if you do want to contact him. If you... He's got a mobile. Can we call him... Can that be a segment? Does anyone feel like... <laughs> 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 so now joining the podcast we have who Tarek has previously described as a see you next Tuesday uh- <laughs> <laughs> oh man it makes me think though of the response to uh, uh, Zara Sultana like because his responses were kind of shrouded in this air of like positivity and he basically used the words like whinging and whining for like junior doctors but he kind of like coded it in like oh you know the patients they they got they're the best instructors and he came out with all this stuff which was just guff right and it's all mm. it had this kind of background of like be positive but essentially what he was trying to do and like his what he was doing was telling that dude to shut up that's what he's doing yeah. but he was shrouding yeah. it in this air of you know you need to move more positive you need to see it as a learning opportunity and to me that was like pure gaslighting and that's what really mm. like triggered mm. me when i watched it i was like mm. So what was going on is some so F1 was complaining that the training wasn't good enough and then he came in saying actually you should be grateful for anything that Well you it's pay I, so I think it was I think it was pay it was more yeah. mm. so we were talking about that the starting salary if you work 9 to 5 it's something like 24 25k now if you go back mm. to maybe when this person I'm not judging his age I'm sure he's you know maybe he's just not got a great Beautiful. skincare routine and that's why he looks <laughs> the age that he does but ultimately if we go back if we, you know, <laughs> we go back, um, pay hasn't risen with inflation. So what is 25K mm. now is worth about 40K for a starting salary for a junior doctor. Don't forget tuition fees have gone up now to what, you know, nine grand or something. So you come out 54 grand in debt mm. and your first year salary mm. is 25. Then there were, you know, uh, 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 surgeons were talking about, you know, the amount of training fees they have to pay. I mean, like even in ED, which is not like a very 
portfolio driven thing in terms of any obviously you have a portfolio but in terms of extra courses it's not as much as you might have to do in surgery but like so you know we've got atls um you know you've got epals you've got all of these all of these courses you've got all of your exams whatever they all come out of your own pocket so you know within one year if you you know for example in the past year i spent something like two three grand on all of that and where does that come from that comes from my pocket that's not taken Mm -hmm. into it and people that friends or whatever that work in other industries that gets paid for by their employer because it's mandatory. Yeah. These aren't courses to just make me a better doctor. I mean, they, they do, but I can't progress in registrar training unless I have these courses when I turn up to ARCP, yeah. but I have to pay for them. Mm. It's mad. Do you, do you find, where where did this all, you know, like the whole, um, because they, they kind of put it as, a, oh, it's a vocation, but also like that you're kind of, invest. this is like an investment and that's how you should see it. Which is, I think, mm. also kind of like nonsense, but also kind of difficult to decide. Like all these different things, these different tropes that get thrown out each time. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah it's, nonsense. Like, oh, it's nonsense. It's um, nonsense. Listen, look, you, we all know that I'm a big fan of value. You know, people putting value on their own labour, but like ultimately, I, your your work as an F1 is labour that should be valued appropriately by the NHS. Whether that's part of you being in a training post or not is completely and utterly irrelevant. Because what's the NHS getting out of your training by the end of it? They're getting a consultant, right? Mm-hmm. You know, by 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 the time or you know, registrar, consultant, whatever, however far you take it. That's what the NHS is getting out of it. You're not, it it isn't on you to see the value in your labour. Your employer should be valuing your labour appropriately. Um, and mm-hmm. saying to you, Oh, it's 25k a year. Don't worry, because all of this and the work that you're doing for us, you know, the labour that you're giving us, that's just experience for you. Actually, that's great. It's just yeah. the most ridiculous way of looking at it. It's mm. absolute nonsense. You know, these people yeah. are working extra hours, putting themselves in difficult situations. As what most of them, what like 24, 25 years old, mm. um, yeah. breaking bad news to people, seeing death on a massive scale. Is that worth 25 grand a year? When you're 60 grand in debt already and then also paying courses, it's, it's bollocks. It's absolute bollocks. Um, and it's not, it's not, you know, the pay hasn't risen in, what, like, you know, however many years with inflation. I mean, I mean, part of the part of the problem, I'm not problem, it's not a problem what I'm saying, but uh, what I think is that people are so passionate, people who work for the NHS are so passionate about the NHS that if you get paid 25k, you're still going to turn up. And it's yeah. not as though you're going to go anywhere else or do anything else, right? You're not going to suddenly leave in droves and do something else, even though there are industries that would, you know, wouldn't mind having a doctor working for them, regardless of your seniority or not. And when you've got a workforce that is that dedicated, that believe in a cause, they're easier to exploit. They really are. I mean, yeah. we see that all the time in the NHS and we, we know that. So, you know, you, I, I know, Tarek, you've been in the situation, I've been in the situation where there's just not enough people to cover things. It's just impossible. You know, you've got one less person who's turning up to work. You can't get a locum to turn up to cover that particular shift. And so what happens is no one says, okay, well, you know what? Just less work needs to get done. Everyone steps up or does more to try and try and cover it. Even if it means they do a bad job overall, they'll they'll cover the extra award. Mm. And that's what they're banking on. So or turn, you know, turning up when you're sick or, or even calling in when you're sick. You know, the amount of anxiety you get. Like, I, yeah. I remember I was literally, I, mm. I couldn't leave the bathroom. I was that unwell. And I was calling him being like, oh, I'm sure maybe if I just, you know, took someone down the street, I'd be all right and I could make it in. You know, maybe, maybe I'd be mm. fine because I was worried about the impact that would have on my colleagues or the service because the service and is so broken, so broken mm. from years of underfunding that one doctor not being there can completely ruin the shift for every other doctor working mm. it. You know, that one person not being there. I'm not saying that I'm like so incredible that me being AWOL is the worst thing in the world. What I'm saying is whatever service it is, you add that pressure to other people, right? Like those other mm. doctors have to take on that pressure. 
when they're already at breaking point. You turn up to work mm. and it's a nightmare at the moment. And it shouldn't be yeah. like that. No, it really shouldn't be like that. There was a thread, wasn't there, from uh, from a GP? Uh, no, from an ED. She's an ED doctor, actually. I don't know why I wrote GP on the thing, but she is a. Uh, oh, we're the same, aren't we? To all of you cardiologists, you big, you know, <laughs> big <line> cardiologists. <laughs> uh, yeah, any oh, any man. front any front door physician or you know doctor yeah, 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 or yeah. sorry casualty officer is a uh, casualty officer. Yeah. <laughs> Would you please do the needful? <laughs> Her name's. Jo- you're all daywalkers to me, mate. You know, like, daywalkers. Another daywalkers walking in. Look at him. <laughs> there, was a, there, was, there was a thread from an ED trainee, and she was talking about how she just felt completely burnt out. And mm. just really, she got like loads and loads and loads and loads of res- responses. Um, mm. But it was interesting to kind of read them because they were off the vein of, I mean, they're all kind of well meaning, but they're along the lines of don't give up. Like, it's, a, you know, what you're doing is important. And, um, it kind of made like it's it whilst I, I can see like I mean that's delightful to have people say stuff like that, like what you do has value and stuff. At the same time, it kind of seemed to almost detract from the fact that, you know, she's suffering and mm. I, it kind of makes makes me wonder about how people perceive like mental health in doctors. I mean, just want to pick up on that thing you said, you know, people were saying it's of value, right? And I agree, there is of value, but of value to who is my big, my, my question. And the thing is like, in this situation where someone is down or any of those things, like the only person that really matters is number one, really. Like if you're feeling like you're not up for the job, and you need to look after yourself. That's that, that's something I learned the hard way. Like I, I piled through, you know, my father being sick and, and the failures and stuff. And I probably didn't perform as well as I could have. But actually, when you look back, like I wasn't doing just myself a disservice. I was probably doing the job a disservice. I just wasn't able to put in the full effort that I could. And as time's gone on, I've realized or really felt, and I don't know how you guys feel, but like as much as you care about your the place that you work and as much as you may care about the NHS, I'm not sure they care, and as much as you care about maybe the general public, I'm not sure they care all that much about you because if if you had to drop dead or something, you know, the worst had to happen, they're just gonna put another advert out for the next person and that person's gonna take over and take over the job. So like, what I'm saying is that when you wanna put yourself out there, just be careful about what you're putting yourself out there for. And it wasn't that long ago we had that poor doctor, um, Dr. Um, Bawa Garba, Bawa do you Garba. remember? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and when you actually looked at that case, we all related to that because we've all been there, right? And that, that, thankfully, no, hopefully none of us have been in the situation where someone's passed away like that. But we'd all been in that situation where we're all covering more than we should be covering. And so when you put yourself out there and something goes wrong, what happens? Like the GMC is not there to help you out. The trust is not going to help you out. Like you put yourself out there for nothing. So you actually, you, you, you're doing better for yourself and everyone else if you do the best job you can, even if it means you, you see less and do less. And this is what happens, you burn out, man. And I burnt out big time. You looking after yourself is so, so important for you to be able to look after other people. And when you read that, when I read that, I just felt so bad. Like, you know, you need to look after yourself. You really do, like take some time out. I mean, I, I've had some, I mean, we, you know, we've spoken about this before, but I, I, I've had some moments where I've gone, do I actually want to do this job anymore? Like what, it, what actually mm. makes me want to do this job? Because again, it comes, you know, full circle. When I started as an F1, there was this whole thing like the NHS was an organization that I politically believed in, you know, healthcare free at the point of access, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't know whether it's because I've gone on and I've become more cynical or because of 10 years of Tory underfunding, we've got, like, got the Tories and the underfunding in, well, how many minutes have we now? 37. Uh, <laughs> I'm disappointed. <laughs> I know, it's so late. Uh, and so, you know, we've got to a point now where, you know, physicians, doctors, surgeons, blah, whatever, across the board, healthcare professionals in general, 
are on their knees because of the amount of work that they're doing to keep a service going that has been gutted. Um, and I don't know whether it's because I've become more cynical because of the experience of that, and it's always been like that, um, or things have changed during that period of time. But for me, I'm now at the situation where it's like, I, I love my job. Like, I genuinely love my job, but I hate not being able to do my job to the best of my ability because of the constraints put upon me by staffing, patient load, underfunding, all of these things, where you know that you could probably do more for a patient, you know, um, for a better long-term outcome, but you've got 15 other patients that need the same sort of care. So you're spreading yourself so thinly amongst these people. And I'm sure lots of other ED doctors can, you know, or doctors in general can can empathize mm, with that. But, definitely. you know, there were moments where, you know, when I was, you know, my mental health was really suffering, um i then felt you know under cared for or undervalued by um the college and the profession and you know whatever and you know, we've spoken obviously really candidly about examinations and failing exams and whatever mm. um and i just thought oh, i want to walk away from it but then i thought what what would i do and i spoke to you know bethan who you had on the podcast before about it um and I was, I, I was on the edge of doing it, but I just, I physically couldn't bring myself to do it. It felt like cutting off a limb. It's just such inherently a part of my, what I attribute like to my self-worth and my identity that I just couldn't bring myself mm. to tear away from it. It's like, you know, like that abusive mm. relationship sort of thing where yeah. you're like, I know this is hurting me, but am I going to be more hurt and feel that I offer less value to the world being away from it? Um, mm. And, you know, massive props to Bethan for like, you know, putting herself first and doing that. And I wish I maybe had the strength to do that and seek happiness, I guess, in another industry. But I think it's bred within the culture of the NHS that like you are part mm. of this thing. This is you, you know, from the start of medical school, that's your identity. And coming from an Indian family, you know, having you being the doctor in the family and, you know, having often like low self-esteem or whatever, that gives you confidence, that gives you self-worth, yeah. that gives you all of those things. And it's really hard mm. to walk away from. And it's at the point you go, how much do I value myself? How much do I value my time? Because I'm sure a lot of F1s, are, you know, or new F incoming F1s are looking at their, you know, upcoming contracts and paychecks and be like, I don't value myself at 25k a year. I'm worth far more than that. And they'd be right. But it, it just always reminds you, like when I was um, working, I had this F2 colleague and he was telling me that they they almost purposely didn't um, have enough people cover it. They had him covering like four wards or something and it's impossible. And it got to the point where he just couldn't get to this final ward to be able to get the jobs done. And they were saying, we're going to put, we're going to put a, you know, day text, we're going to report this. And so he was really shook up by the whole thing. He was like, you know what, like I, I was really working as best I could. I just couldn't get there. I couldn't physically get there. And then when he told his consultant, the consultant said, you know what, you should let them report it. Because as soon as they report it, they can see it's a problem. And we're going to finally get, we're going to get funding to get someone to cover that. And so the point really was, is that for him, so then after that, he didn't, he didn't stress himself too much. He was like, well, you know, it's not great that he can't make it, but he's got to do the best that he can with the people that he's got. And if it shows that he, you know, having one person covering four wards is is too too many, then they have to they they you know it's on them. It's their yeah. it's their it's their it's their hospital. They've got to they've got to do something about it. I think it's good for people to hear stuff like that because I think when you're in that situation though. Um, mm. And you've got people, you know, people calling you up, being like, "How long are you gonna be?" You know, or, you know, this mm. is, of, of course, and all this kind of stuff, and you're just stuck in there. It can be very difficult, um, you know, with your colleagues and just the whole atmosphere to actually understand that, you know, ev everything shouldn't be on your back. I know it feels like it is, and you're carrying all this stuff, but it shouldn't be, and that's wrong, and that's not mm. your fault. You know, that's not because you're inadequate. You're not HR. You're not workforce. You're not work more workforce management. You're not any of those things. You should be. You like. You like should be like a radiologist, man. You give me a call and say, look, when's that report happening? Like, 
It's happening when it's happening, mate. Don't rush me. <laughs> the number of times I've picked up the phone to be like, hi, man. Sorry. Yeah, it's Tarek and ED again. Hate to push you, but it's been two hours and I've got a full recess and there are four trauma scans you've had for a while. Not saying you're not working really hard. Not saying you're working really hard on watching TV on your massive screens, you know, a little dark room with your coffee. But you're kind of dragged. Do you want to... <laughs> In your wood panelled room that I can see on the camera right now. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> but no, you've had but it's it's weird, isn't it? Like this culture of feeling undervalued at work, feeling overworked, it spills out into like inter like inter um speciality relationships. And I know you mm. were saying through that you've done some, you know, E D are we allowed to talk about that? Yeah, some E D stuff yeah, yeah, recently. Yeah. Um yeah. you've done some E D stuff recently and what was your experience of being on the other side of doing the referring? I think you said you spoke to like oh, a man. cardiologist or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh my god, and it was so weird. <laughs> and like, I remember I was sat next to one of my uh, like one of the other ED regs, and he's like, "Mate, why don't you just t- like why do you do that? Why didn't you just tell them you're a cardiology reg?" And I was like, "I just wanted to know what it felt like." And it didn't feel <laughs> it. It didn't feel good, man. It was no. so horrible. Like even just like the way that there was. It was just so abrupt, and it was just like they were just speaking to me as if like I I could I had to like remember to like t- to breathe in, and then that's followed by breathing out. Like that's how stupid they thought yeah, I yeah. was. It was a real insight, and it's re- like really humbling because I'm like that takes a strength to just deal with that level of disdain and not just mm. be like, excuse me, like why are you being so horrible? Like, and I uh, was mm. referring to a medical reg the other day, and they started to kind of like lecture was me. It with, metal? Frankly. <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm out in the sticks, mate. But like, they were like lecturing me on what a like obstructive sleep apnea was, and it was so, it was just wrong as well. And I was like, this is, and so I just kept asking her questions, and she just getting more and more irate with me because I was like, no, that doesn't make any sense. Do you mind just going? And then she was just getting more and more angry. And again, this ED regent next to me is like, why are you doing this? But I was just like, I want to know what it feels like. But it was, it was oh, horrible. That's it was such so a horrible. weird thing to want to do. Like, but, I, I like there is, is. No, no, but this, this, this culture of us all being like overworked, underfunded, yeah. massive patient loads, like, you know, the heart, you know, everyone's absolutely under the cosh at the moment. And it spills over into us kind of like eating each other, doesn't it? Like where mm. you just shit on the person further down the chain. And in ED, we, you know, you hear people make backhanded comments about GPs all the time, but they'll review that GP patient, order blood, they'll end up with a CTPR or an ultrasound or whatever. And then, you know, eventually maybe they'll discharge them home or admit them. Like if you have to order those investigations, shush, because it was an you know, appropriate yeah. referral. And it's the same as you go up the chain, but we're just so frustrated and don't know where to focus that frustration. <clears throat> the Tories. Uh, <laughs> you, it's true. You, you, no, no, but you, you fight amongst each other, right? It's, it, uh, it's true. You know, the person giving mm. you work is the one that you target. Absolutely. And I know this is a cardiology edge. I know that I'd get referrals and it'd, be, it'd make complete sense. And I'd be like, yes, I suppose I will see that patient. And you're like, I get pissed off with, with, with the ambulance service. Like they'll bring in something that's completely appropriate. Oh, like, and I'm yeah. like, oh, not enough. Oh, what are you yeah. doing? But they're fine. Hmm. Because I then spend like yeah, three yeah. or four hours with that patient. They end up getting admitted. But I'm irritated hmm. because I'm so at my breaking point of this is the amount of work that I'm doing. You yeah. lash out at the person nearest to you, don't you? But, yeah. yeah, I really you know, hated uh, that. This reminds, yeah. me, this reminds me of this time. Like there was a guy that I worked with, he's a registrar, and he came up, he was coming up to his final, final on-call. So me being me, I waited till like the last five minutes of his on-call and I, gave, I made a phone call, pretended to be a, a referrer. And uh, I, put on, I put on an accent and I was like, <clears> hey man, listen, uh, I've got... Um, I've got someone who I've got a little kid who's got a you know their toes hurting a bit and I think we need to go CT chest out the pelvis. He went sorry, 
and he, and I said, listen, listen, I, I think we really need. It. And he was like, explain. And he, Major and he trauma. Just, you could just see. Yeah, exactly. I was I was pushing it, and I was just pushing it as much. And he goes, any anyone hits it's like, no, no, it's just a painful toe. And like, as soon as I touch it, it just the pa- the patient's pain. We need to get a CT head, chest, abdo, pelvis. And he just went completely balmy. He went. He was just having a go at me. Then after a while, he goes. Imran, <laughs> and I was just like, "Yeah, sorry, mate." So- yeah, because there, you know, there are doctors that aren't great at referring, and Rio, you know, we're not an infallible profession across the board. Yeah, right? yeah. But no one, no one is that shit other than Darusha, because we know about his. <laughs> but it made me realise that if you'd met this guy, he was so lovely. He, if you were so so lovely. But then it turned out that he's got a bit of a work personality, which kind of brings us to onto one of our other tweets that came out, where someone is talking about how their work, their work personality is wildly different from their home personality. I mean, I think that ties in well with like a conversation about mental health. I mean, like, say so for me, uh, at work, I'm at work, and that's my job, and there are things that depend on, or people, things, whatever, depend on me, for me to be operating like the best possible thing right so if you're feeling rubbish it kind of all gets left at the door and you do your job because you have something to focus on there is something bigger than you that needs to be dealt with and I don't know whether that's particularly healthy like putting your own needs or whatever aside to be able to um you know try and keep an organization going but uh then when you come home all of that stuff spills out I mean I don't know what your guys experience was of the first you know wave or the second wave I didn't sleep properly for about six months I was having nightmares about some of the stuff that I dealt with in ITU um, you know, my mental health suffered more than it, 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 it has done since I was pretty much 17 over the course of sort of, you know, the end of the year leading up to Christmas. And the thought of going through all of that again is, is horrendous. But we always try and separate our work and our home lives, but inevitably it does spill over. And that um, stuff that I was putting off with work by not looking after myself that I then, um, you know, coming home and with family, friends, whatever, um, it spills over and it affects your relationships with other people. No, massively as much as you try and turn it off I, I think it's really hard to keep those two things like definitively separate although we I think you know we do that every day right don't we we have I'm at work I you know I'm this like I work hard but I'm like grumpy and a bit gruff and or whatever but mm. that's not really me at yeah. all mm. but it's my way of dealing with depression and stuff that I've got going on um, and then that okay. spills into your home life sometimes I think kind of echo that sentiment I know that kind of um, spilling in, uh, spilling into your home life, and it can be just like really random things that like kind of trigger it. I know that for a while um, there are some uh, like I didn't really want to watch it. Like I had enough of the stuff on Twitter about COVID. Like I just couldn't deal with it. I couldn't read it anymore. Mm. I don't really want to. And uh, I remember there were some scenes in Italy that I saw and I remember I was sat down and I couldn't, I think I got into like a cycle, I'd got into a point where I was just kind of like scrolling and scrolling and then I saw, I think I saw some, and I think it was like all the alarms and stuff in Italy and I just like burst into tears. And, uh, yeah, no, I had a similar experience with the India, the India stuff. I don't know whether you saw that. I don't know whether that added, a, mm, you know, or mm. like watching yeah, yeah, yeah. hospital and stuff where they were actually showing, you know, people's journeys. I don't know whether that evoked the same thing in yeah, you. but very much yeah. so. Yeah, yeah. I think the India thing was, I mean, I was feeling bad about Italians and then, you know, as time went on and then it kind of got so bad for, for India, it really did, you know, break my heart a, a lot, actually. It was very, the whole thing was so difficult to take and so difficult to watch, mm-hmm. um, knowing that there's so much suffering going on, there's not really much 
anyone at the time it. knew they could do mm. about it. And this stuff really does affect your mental health. But I've, I've, but sometimes I find myself a little bit surprised. Like, you know, I've, I've had good friends who, when they'll tell me something they've done at work, I'm, I feel like that doesn't sound like you, man. It sounds mm. like someone else. But they've got, it turns out they've got a very, very brash personality at work when it comes to work. They're more than willing to swipe someone's name off a, a publication, all that kind of thing. But in reality, when you meet them outside of work, you know, they'll lend you a fiver. You know what I mean? They're just such a lovely You're just doing what you person. have to do to survive at work, right? I mean, I think, and that's, you know, reasons again, the, the unhealthiness of our relationship with, you know, the NHS and with how work, we all value yeah. ourselves and our own, you know, our own mental health and our own, our, our own safety, our own... People aren't that open about it. And I think we've spotted an account recently. Uh, I think we've spoken about this depressed doctor. Has everyone seen this person who, yeah. who uses an anonymous account? But we quite appreciate, don't we? Like mm. this is this is um, this is very useful for people to understand. Uh, you know, first of all, the Twitter handle depressed doctor uh, and whoever this is tweets quite openly about their mental health and how they're dealing with it. And I think recently they tweeted about antidepressants, antipsychotics, and they were saying they were receiving DMs telling them they should reconsider medicine, that's the one thing. Um, people might not want to be treated by them and they're not going to be a good doctor. And I just felt as though like this sounds like the kind of person that would be a good doctor actually. Someone who's willing to put themselves out there, someone who's willing to talk about the things that you know we do, we should and ought to talk about because you know doctors are humans too aren't we? Mm. Um, we, we all suffer from the same, this, these kind of same situations. Interestingly, those are kind of DMs that they were saying they were receiving from, from just ordinary people but also from other medics. Oh, that sort of, I mean, that sort of thing's pathetic, isn't it? I mean, like, listen, you've got a colleague talking openly and normalising something that, you know, a huge amount of us deal with. Then your first response is to go and tell them they should maybe reconsider their career. Absolute nonsense, garbage person behaviour. Um, but I think people like um, well, he or she, um, they, uh, you know, really further... Uh, our conversations about mental health like it normalizes stuff that we should really be normalizing um and as someone you know who has friends that have suffered that stuff as someone personally that has suffered with that stuff like um i don't think it makes you a worse doctor um right. to have gone through it i think if anything it allows you to relate to patients and what they're going through more and be more empathetic um, yeah, you know, like being a patient is unbelievably difficult when you think because I remember, you know, I think I was I was a patient for a, a short time um, when I got back from Bangladesh and I think they thought I might have had malaria or something and I was stuck in hospital for, for a few days while they did blood cultures and all sorts and thankfully I was fine. But um, I remember like, you know, when you when you when you leave, you think to yourself, OK, hang on. So you, you're in, you have to, t you're going to wear the, the hospital gowns now, okay? So that's the first thing, you're wearing a hospital gown, right? Uh, you put into a room, so you've got a room or maybe even a bay. Uh, you've woken up at a specific time, you get, you get fed at a specific time. And if you try and leave, you're kind of almost threatened, not, I mean, you're not threatened with your life, but you're threatened to say that, look, you know, if you leave, you're going against medical advice and this could result in, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And the only other place I could think of that was remotely similar on any level is prison. It felt like I was in prison. I mean, maybe because I was a young man, I was stuck in there, but it felt like, man, like I've lost all like the liberties, all the freedoms I had because I'm, I'm sick. And so being a sick person is a very, very difficult thing. Maybe as doctors, when, when you, you know, if you've been there, then you can appreciate that. And so this, for this person who is, you know, depressed and doctor, 
they've they've been in a they've been in a situation that they can relate to other people and even even being a patient even if you're not suffering from depression it's a sad place to be it's not a great place mm. to be when mm. you're in there so that means that this person can hopefully empathize with whatever it doesn't, doesn't have to be mental health per se but they can empathize with any single every single patient that comes in because it's just a dire situation who wants to be in hospital it's not a nice place to be uh, and we don't make it a nice place to be. It, there's, there's no two ways about it, really. No, he wants to be woken um, up at two in the morning for observations. Like, do you know what I mean? It's not, yeah, exactly. it's not conducive to you feeling great about yourself. Yeah, genuinely, I woke up and they were sticking a needle in my arm. And I'm like, what are you guys ah. doing? Because you, you've sparked temperature. And I was like, okay. And then just hold my arm down. And, said, <laughs> and it wasn't even it wasn't even Stark. It was just the Rusha. <laughs> <laughs> I need his blood. Yeah. I need his I've essence. waited for this for so long. <laughs> this is my fetish. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh god! Oh god! Oh, I better change the subject quick. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> but we we saw that uh, I think one of the medical student had tweeted something about someone who had gone to the medical school about their feelings, and they were told maybe you should have lavender oil. Oh, yeah, Is that right? That, Did you yeah. see that? Yeah, lavender oil could be the thing. I love I love these little treatments that people come out with. Like I, my parents love homey homey. Yeah, this reminds me of something of my parents. What is it with Indian parents and arnica? Yeah, yeah. Like I swear, yeah. arnica on everything. The oven's the oven's not working. Whack a bit of arnica on it. It's just absolutely. Oh, a bit of chest no, pain. Arnica my, oil. My parents would be like, well, "Have you have you tried drinking more water? Take a rest and drink some more water." I'm like, "What water? What, what have they you? tried turmeric and milk with you? I think oh. my in-laws keep trying to make me do that, and I'm That's like, weird. "No, I'm not doing." Turmeric and that, that sounds horrendous. Turmeric lattes are like pretty fancy and all of that now. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You're just not hip enough. That's the problem. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what it is. Yeah, yeah. But it's, I find it fascinating. My parents have raised two doctors and they want nothing to do with anything medical whatsoever when it comes down to it. Like, But that that, that, that sort of stuff is all, is all well and good when you've got a bruise and someone, you know, tells you to rub arnica on it. But it's very different when someone's, you know, <laughs> suffering with their mental health and they're, you know, struggling and you're like, oh, you know what, man? Bit of lavender oil on your pillow. Give it a sniff. It'll be yeah. fine. Not, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. no. You know, yeah. and, and there are things and behaviours and day-to-day stuff that are, can be really, really, you know, they can be helpful, but they don't necessarily work for everyone i mean if you're going to give a present to your consultant you know someone senior you're going to give them a present would you give them lavender oil would you give them a bit <laughs> only, of if they're, only if they're depressed <laughs> <laughs> no i uh, this is are we talking about is metal made his way onto the podcast yeah the third time yeah. in the last 50 minutes jesus christ uh i spent enough of my time no uh he <laughs> so this is talking about presents that you would give your bosses i don't think i've ever bought a boss a present like it's like giving your it's like giving your like your, you know, your teacher an apple. No one likes that kid. If you're an F one, you buy your consultant a bottle of wine. No, you're an. I don't trust you. I no, absolutely not. Not a fan. They've got enough. They've got enough cash. They should be taking you to the pub and saying thank you for doing all of those <gasps> nonsense jobs and buying yeah, you a pint. Should be the other way around. Look after your juniors. Have you ever got a present from your consultants? Then, what's the best one you've ever no. got? No. Oh, nothing. No. Nothing at all. I, I, not even no, a I think coffee it's just a lot about me. I don't know. Um, <gasps> not even a coffee in Costa. Costa. Come on. Co- coffee in Costa isn't a present. That's expenses. Uh, yeah, like, you know, the yeah, F1s yeah. are on like 25k mm. a year or whatever. So yeah, come on yeah, now. Yeah. They, you know, as a consultant, you can afford a coffee <laughs> looking at you, Imran. Uh, <laughs> but like, but like, who wants? I don't know. I don't know. Have you ever got a present? If you ever got a present from a consultant, other than like, you know, many, many. That, you have as yeah yeah i have actually 
Uh, apart from wisdom, obviously. You don't trust Arusha. My God, he's coming up. What is... Yeah, I know. Mate. Wild. Actually, no, no, no. Wild. I actually got a really nice uh, nice bottle of... Oh, you're going to laugh, though. There's a bottle of port, uh, port. Do you know what the brand was? Go on. Cockburn's. But it's really good port. It was. Really, I swear on <laughs> my life, that's the. I it got is. It's a nice port. port. It is. Yeah. Yeah. A nice port. Yeah. It's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. I got that. I got that once. It's only about fifteen pound a bottle, so they, you know they he or she could have yeah. like stumped out a little bit more. But fair enough. So is that is that a thing? Do people buy their? Or maybe I've just been like I've been horrible to all of my consultants. But like for me, I'm one of those people that like slinks off. Like I kind of like at the end yeah. of the placement, I'm like, thanks, that was awesome, and then I'll just like. You know, I'm not very good at like this big <laughs> bounce. See you later. Off, Thank off you, I go. Um, thanks. I'm out. Drop mic. Um, well, but I... <laughs> is, uh, peace, peace. It's a dangerous thing, really, if you think about it, because I I don't eat cake that often, uh, or I don't I don't really like cake. So you can you know I know and a few people are not be happy about that. But um, I just don't like cake. So every time someone comes to my house with cakes or whatever thing, I take them to work and give it to everyone. And when I was a reg, I. People started acting really weird to me and saying that, suggesting that I was bringing cake every day or every every other ah. week or something. Were you working with a certain cardiologist? <laughs> <laughs> no, I wasn't. Uh. <laughs> but they were trying to suggest that the reason I was bringing cake was more because I wanted a job in that place. And it's like, no, I've just got cake left over. But I see what you were saying earlier, Tarek. Like sometimes when you're trying to, you know, it may come across that you might not want to trust someone who's going to say something like, Oh no, whisk. that's just me being, that's just me being bitter for those people that care enough to do that. I think that's, I don't know. It's, I'm sure if you're a consultant and you've done lots of teaching, whatever, it's really sweet to have, you know, a trainee or whatever do that, but, um, or, a, you know, an F1 or whatever, but it just always felt a little bit, I don't know. Yeah, it didn't feel very, I, I don't know, I feel like you're doing a job, you're giving a lot to yeah. that firm. Yes, your job is training, but that ties back into that thing of like being like just thankful for you training. Yeah, And true. you shouldn't just feel thankful for being there. You earned that place. You deserve to be there. Their job is to teach you those things. They're paid mm. to do that. And also mm. you're providing a service to the NHS. You're, you're you know, you're giving labor. Um mm. And so, I don't know, I feel like going that extra mile to like do those things. But like, you know, for like, you know, SHOs and the F1s or the medical students, whatever, yeah, I'll do a round of coffees and that. I feel like it should work the other way, not, not you know, mm. you giving your consultant a thing for just being nice to you and offering human decency. I don't know. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry <laughs> no, to any consultant. No, I like it. I, I have loved, I'm no, sure good. I've loved <laughs> working <laughs> with you, but that's just my thinking. Buy me more coffee. <laughs> yeah, at least you're consistent. That, that that's important too. At least you, at least there wasn't one concern you gave something to, and the rest you you you, no, 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 you, you didn't give no. anything to Phil, anyone. I, Phil so. never got anything. Oh yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Um, cool. cool. Uh, I mean, so yeah, I mean, I think we're coming up to time, aren't we? Yeah. So I mean, you know, let's not make a big deal out of it. I think um, Tarek is the kind of guy that wants to just disappear. You know, peace. Peace. Uh, no <laughs> high fives. Uh, <laughs> uh, he just wants to disappear quietly. So um, we we'll probably let him just disappear quietly and me and Thrush can carry on for another 10 minutes. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> no, Tarek, it's been it's been great fun. Um, thank you so much. Yeah, um, it's been great fun, hasn't it, Thrush? Mm, having yeah, Tarek. We've been nice. we've been trying to tease this up for a while, haven't we? And then um, you know, and as as last week we did it again. We did the same thing again, didn't we? Did the um, Twitter Space on the Monday evening at eight o'clock with um, Ajay. Ajay's still organising that. We hope to organise it again. We had a big turnout last week. Last week we had fifty people, I think, mm. and we were having a nice conversation about the football and all that kind of thing. And it's just quite nice to talk to people. So Tarek, you know, I think you did make a guest appearance once, but you might have been. I, so uh, I was actually at drinks with like Russell and that, and we tried to have a conversation. 
yeah we tried to have a conversation and it didn't really go very well but i'm taking i'm taking a bit of a break from twitter as of today so my account oh, i don't okay. think any longer exists uh uh anyway taking a little break you do, yeah back later you, in the year no no fair yeah, enough yeah, you man. do what's right you for you it. man you do what's right for you yeah. Yeah, man. Cool. Well, we'll look. At, I mean, I, I'll try and make a reaction video for you later if I can bother. Um, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, um... <laughs> Bye, man. Anyway, th- uh, thank you so much for for coming along to this, and um, for everyone else out there. Hopefully, talk to you guys live on Monday, and um, see you guys next week. Yep. And you've been listening to Two Medics and One Mike with Imran Lasker and Drusha Gwadna. Thank you for listening.